that we think he ought to. I mean, our culture values efficiency and production and the easiest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line and we have all sorts of apps on our phone to get us wherever we want to get to as fast and as effortlessly as possible. And we love that stuff, don't we? Now let me ask you, is that how God's working in your life? Have you ever found yourself frustrated as God takes you around yet another corner, through another valley, into another unknown, when all you want is to reach that mountaintop? Pastor Daniel is going to open up God's strange plans in today's message, and with it, he will offer you a way to deal with the twists and turns you'll encounter along the way. Next time you don't understand, ask God, what are you up to in all of this? Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Kings chapter 3 as he begins his message, God's Strange Plan. I'll never forget it. I was a young pastor, and I was sitting in a pastor's meeting with pastors from all over the county where I was ministering. And it's funny, as a young pastor... You know, what most young pastors do is when they go to a meeting, they just talk the whole time because they're young and they know everything. After God works you out of that, you go to your pastor's meeting and you just get a big old cup of coffee and you sit there with your cup of coffee and you just listen a lot because if you do ministry for a little while and you're a young pastor, you know everything and then God shows you that you don't even know what you don't know. And so I would just get the big old thermos of coffee, and I would just sit there with my journal open and my pen, and I wouldn't even say a word. You know, and I'd just write, 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 write. And I'll never forget it. So there's this brother who's preaching. This guy had been a pastor for about almost 50 years, and he looked at me because I was the youngest guy in the room, and he's like, you young pastors, listen. Whatever you do, don't tell the people of God that the way that God works will make any sense. He said, actually, if you're being honest, God's ways are just weird. And I remember stopping, and I'm like, am I going to write that in my notes? You know what I mean? Like, But I ended up writing down, God's ways are weird. And I thought to myself, if I tell everyone that God's ways are weird, then they're not going to want to follow the Lord. But you know what happened over time? As I had that little seed placed in my heart, God's ways are weird. I started noticing what God was doing in my life and the life of the people that I was serving and serving alongside. And what I started to realize is that that pastor was flat out brilliant. God's ways are seriously weird. God does not do things the way that we think he ought to. I mean, our culture values efficiency 
and production. And the easiest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. And we have all sorts of apps on our phone to get us wherever we want to get to as fast and as effortlessly as possible. And we love that stuff, don't we? Now, let me ask you, is that how God's working in your life? No, right? God's way to get from point A to B is not a straight line in the way that you choose to avoid traffic and all that stuff. It's literally a circuitous route. And it makes no sense and it takes way more time than it should have. But that is exactly the way God works. Because God's ways are just flat out strange. Because God is doing things and orchestrating things and working things in your life and in my life that just don't make a whole lot of sense until they come to full blossom and you say, oh yeah, I get it now. But God's ways are strange. And I realize that for you and for me, for the people in your life and the people in my life, the fact that God's Ways are weird. Cause us to struggle a whole lot. And I'm sure that there's many of you here right now who in your heart of hearts, because God's ways are so weird, you're beginning to think, maybe God isn't real. You're thinking to yourself, maybe if God is real, I just don't like him. Because you can't fathom the route that God has you taking and that you're actually going to end up somewhere beautiful. And that's a struggle that we have. Oftentimes, we do not enjoy the journey that God has us on. But if you are God's inside man or inside woman, if you are one of those people like the prophet Elijah who is cognizant of what God is up to, you begin to say, Lord, I don't understand the route. But God, I'm learning how to trust you on the journey. That I don't get it. But you know, Lord, you never told me I was going to get it. You just told me to trust you and you got it. And we're going to see that today as we continue this study because we're going to see that God's plans are just strange. You ready for it? Open up in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3 as we continue this study looking at the life of the prophet Elisha. Now, you might be leaning like 2 Kings 3 or if you're Donald Trump, you'd say 2 Kings 3. Or if you're British... If you're British, you're Donald Trump, it's two Kings three. All the rest of you, it's second Kings three. It's amazing. Donald teaching us stuff about the Bible. God bless him. <laughs> Isn't that terrifying? Anyway, <laughs> I know many of you are like, where is second Kings in the Bible? So listen, second Kings is in about the first fifth of your Bible. You have the five books of Moses that begin the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? Then you have Joshua and Judges and the book of Ruth. And then you have the first and second books of the Old Testament. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. So if you're looking around, ready to see a one or a two in the first part of your book, you're almost there. Okay? Kings is in between Samuel and Chronicles. And second Kings comes after what? 
Second Kings come after First Kings. And we're in chapter 3. Second Kings chapter 3. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now, Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. And it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Now, these first five verses of 2 Kings chapter 3 gives us a lot of details about the life and times that the prophet Elisha is functioning in, how he's God's inside man in the midst of this. Now, I want you to notice first, we have a number of names here. And the thing I want you to really grab hold of is that if you're looking for baby names, the Bible is a gold mine. It's a gold mine. And listen, I have nothing against Danny's and Johnny's and Billy's and, you know, and all these things. Some of those names are in the Bible. But look at the names you have here. Jehoram, Ahab, my personal favorite, Jehoshaphat. I tried so hard for my wife, Lynn, to name our kid Jehoshaphat, and she wouldn't do it. I mean, think, imagine you had a little Jehoshaphat running around. You can call him so fat with a PH. I mean, that's just so killer, you know what I mean? Listen. I just think, imagine being at the playground, I'd be like, hey, so fat, come over here. Don't body shame your child. No, no, his name's Jehoshaphat, yo. You know, it's like, so good. So listen, will one of you name your kids Jehoshaphat, please? I don't know what I'll do if you do it, but I will be very impressed. I think you're very highly spiritual. I try, you can pray for Lynn, you pray for her. Somebody said, you should get a cat named Jehoshaphat. I'm like, Nice. I think I'm just going to go to the court and I'm going to get my name changed. Because you can call me Pastor So Fat. And I'll just keep eating and I'll grow and it will all fit in. That sounds good. Okay, anyway, that's not my point though. But it's a good, and don't miss, you got Misha, the king of the moment. We got lots to work with here. Unique. But we get all these details for a reason. Now, it says here in verse 1 that Jehoram was the son of Ahab. And he became king over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who reigned, and he reigned for 12 years. Now, Jehoram's 12-year reign was between 852 and 840 BC. So what that means is this is 850 years before Jesus, and now Jesus was around about 2,000 years ago. So now we're talking about 2,800 years ago. This is the timestamp. And remember, what we're learning here is Jehoram is a descendant of King Ahab, right? And it's at the same time that Jehoshaphat is reigning in Judah. Now, what you have to realize, and I'm going to explain this to you, I'm going to show you some scriptures, is that Jehoshaphat was the son of King Asa, who was a godly king. So 
Judah, the two southern tribes, spent more time in the promised land than Israel, the northern tribes, because out of all of their kings, they had some godly leaders who led them in the right direction, whereas the ten northern tribes, what we call Israel, they had lousy kings, and Jehoram is one of them. And we find out that Jehoram is literally the son of Ahab. Now, Ahab's wife's name was, anybody know? Jezebel. Now, the name Jezebel still to this day is used for a woman who is bent on evil, right? Now, it's amazing. In our culture, there's like feminist website called Jezebel, which shows how upside down our culture has become. But it's the phrases of a woman who is bent on rebellion. Now, what we learn here is that Jehoram is a descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, Ahab and Jezebel in the history of the children of Israel were hands down the most evil leaders they ever had. And Jehoram's their descendant. Now, notice what it says in verse 2. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. I want to explain this to you. I want to give you a principle that I'm going to apply to our lives. And then I also want to unpack it in the lives of these people here. The principle is this. You need to break the cycle. You need to break the cycle. See, Jehoram had evil parents, parents who were bent on evil. And it says that Jehoram still did evil in the sight of the Lord, but he wasn't quite as wicked as his father Ahab. Now, I want to apply this to you and to me because the process of socialization, parents raising children, has a very powerful impact on a human's life. And for many people, the sins of the parents get passed down to the children. All research on alcoholism and abuse, all these different things, the percentages of people who had parents like that or who are also like that is very, very high. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to break the cycle. Because I think for some of you right now, your life is a mirror of everything that your parents did and you hate it because you knew that their life wasn't the way it ought to be. And I'm here to tell you that in Jesus, that cycle gets to get cut right off. You need to break the cycle of sin and rebellion. Whatever your parents were, that's what they were. But Jesus wants to give you a fresh start. I just felt the need, I need to say this, that for some of you, you're so busy blaming your parents. Don't get me wrong. Some of you had horrible parents. And all of our parents were dysfunctional in some way. The best parents in the room are still sinners in need of a savior. So there's no perfect nuclear family. It's just all degrees of dysfunction. But brother or sister, you need to actually take control of your own life. And stop playing the blame game. Because there's many people. Some of you right now, I'm saying it, it's uncomfortable. But you're spending all your time blaming your parents for whatever they were. Instead of owning your life and saying, I am not going to perpetuate the sins of my ancestors or my parents. I'm not going to continue it forward. Because in Jesus, all things are new. So don't play the blame game. Our culture loves blame. And the blame game is as old as Adam and Eve. Break the cycle of sin, whatever your parents were or weren't. As a young pastor, I'll never forget Mike and Kathy. They were 
Irish, came from a long line of alcoholics. And they, as a young couple, were total alcoholics. They'd been raised in it. That was what was normal. And they came to know Jesus. I'll never forget, they said, Pastor Daniel, God broke that cycle of sin in my family. Alcoholism ends right here. It's beautiful watching them raise their kids, godly young men and women. Breaking a whole history of alcoholism ends because one of God's kids trusts in the Lord. So break that cycle. And in some ways, Jehoram is and isn't doing that. Because notice it says that his father was King Ahab. Now listen to what it says about King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. It gives us some color to verse 2. It says, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, we'll talk about that in verse 3 in a second, that he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So you see the environment that Jehoram was raised up in. Literally, his dad Ahab grabbed a wife, this woman named Jezebel, and they literally set up a pagan worship center in Samaria. He made a wooden image and he set it up. And he, it says he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger more than all the kings who came before him. Why was God so upset? Because the covenant-keeping God brought the people of God into the promised land and said, you shall not worship any gods other than me. You shall not make any carved image. And what did he do? He made a carved image, set up a place of worship, and he caused the people under his influence to fall away from worshiping the true and living God. That's what God gets upset about. When we allow people or we influence people away from the God who keeps us and created us. So Ahab was a bad dude. It says that Jeroboam wasn't as bad as him. He actually put away the sacred pillar of Baal. So he did, in some ways, tear down this pillar that Ahab had made. But then in verse 3, it says, Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from him. Now, Jeroboam. Let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 to 31, and I'll explain how the sin of Jeroboam, this is something that Ahab was involved in, and now his son Jeroham is involved in as well. Look at what it says. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. And if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people. Went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who are not of the sons of Levi. Let me put this in context to you. This is important, right? Remember, King David, right? He was Israel's maybe their greatest king. And God had made David a promise that there was always going to be a ruler 
from the lineage of David on the throne of Israel. Remember, David, then Solomon came. And after Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became the king of Israel. Now, if you were to look up knucklehead in the Bible, Rehoboam's picture might be there. Because Rehoboam made a brutal mistake. His dad, Solomon, in building up the kingdom of Israel at that time and building the temple, right, he had begun to really drive the people and tax them very hard. And the elders of Israel came to him and said, listen, your father has been working people hard. The people will follow you if you back off. We've been working so hard. And Rehoboam said, okay. And he went to his buddies and he said, well, these old guys want me to do this. Like, no, no, you tell them that your dad's good, that you're going to be way harder than your dad. You're going to be more severe. And Rehoboam listened and said it to the wise elders of Israel. He listened to his buddies. And sure enough, right as that happened, the 10 northern tribes broke off and they followed this man, Jeroboam. But Jeroboam did what everybody in power has a tendency to do. It dawned on him that if the 10 northern tribes decide to go and worship in Jerusalem, they're going to remember that we're not supposed to be divided. They're going to end up killing me, and, they're all, and the kingdom's going to go back together. He's not thinking with the eyes of God. He's thinking with the heart of a possessive person. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to make two golden calves, and I'm going to set them up. I'm going to tell the people, do not go down to Jerusalem. It's just too much work. Come here. Here's your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you've ever read the story about the children of Israel leaving Egypt, golden calves were a problem, right? But the people didn't know, and all Jeroboam cared about was consolidating power. Didn't care about the ways of God. Didn't care about the purposes of God. Cared about his own back and his own pocket. And he led the people into rebellion. So that the people wouldn't go down to Jerusalem. Instead, they worshipped idols. Not the real God. Not the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And that was the sin of Jeroboam. And literally, the ten northern tribes had 18 successive evil kings who all just followed the way that was before them. Now, not only that, by the time you get to verse 4 here, back in 2 Kings chapter 3, we find that Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and wool of 100,000 rams. So really, Misha was a subordinate. He was a vassal of King Ahab. And when Ahab died, he rebelled against that. He's like, I don't want to be under your control anymore. So you see, Jeroboam broke the cycle a little bit. We're going to see that Jehoshaphat is going the wrong direction. He had a godly dad, but he's going to make some bad decisions. Now you have Misha, who's literally saying, I do not want to be under your tyranny any longer. So everybody here is trying to change something about the past. And so for you and for me, start. You need to break the cycle. Whatever that cycle, whatever your family history is, it doesn't have to be your future. It doesn't have to be. Jesus is So what do you think about all that? Do you agree with Pastor Daniel that God's ways are just weird? Today, Pastor Daniel showed us the weird ways of God. God just doesn't operate the way we think he should. He seems to always take us the longer, harder road. But what has been shown to be true over and over is that his way is better. He is orchestrating things we can't even imagine or begin to understand. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel continues the story next time. Next time, Pastor Daniel will dig into the breaking of cycles. We all have family or personal histories that seem to be holding us back. But whatever the history is, it doesn't have to be your future. Life in Christ means that you are a new creation. If you come to Jesus and say yes to him, he will lead you in a more excellent way. He will take you on a journey. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.